Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a practicing druid describes the neo-pagan religion and how practical and ritual magic actually works. Conjure the right kind of spirits. You interest the right kind of spirits in what it is you want. And you make a deal with them and they help you get it. This podcast is brought to you by BrightBiz. If you own a business or you've dreamed of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost anything a lot easier. Just visit freebusinesstoolbox.com and grab your copy. Yeah, we know some websites offer you a special deal on something, but then they stick you in some recurring program. This isn't like that. There's no hidden thing to try. BrightBiz is giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting their best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end, so don't wait. Grab your free guide today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com. freebusinesstoolbox.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Hey, please be sure to stick around till the end of the podcast when I'll reach into the ginormous jar of cheese puffs and draw a name for this week's winner of one of my Strange Planet CDs. If you want to get in on the weekly draw, rate and review this podcast. Grab a screenshot of that and email it to me at richardserrett one at gmail.com and don't forget to include your full name and your mailing address. One of the great things about being in radio or podcasting is that I meet such a tremendous variety of people with a variety of occupations or avocations, and I learn a lot. Uh, Ordinarily, for example, you wouldn't expect to run into, I don't know, a vampire slayer or an alien abductee or someone who's working on a perpetual motion machine in the frozen food section over at Value Mart, although you never know. Uh, So I would describe my knowledge base as a mile wide and an inch deep. I know a little bit about a lot of things, and I know a lot about a very few things. Something I know very little about is the neo-pagan religion. I don't, I don't personally know any druids or wiccans, as far as I know, but then I was invited to appear and speak at an event this summer called Occulticon up in Holstein, Ontario this coming July, and I've since met three neo-pagans. The founder and executive director of Occulticon, Cayman Mythwood, Uh, he joined me on this podcast recently, as did Frater Arceus, who will be also speaking at Occulticon. Uh, Incidentally, you can go to occulticon.ca for details and uh, to register, and maybe I'll see you up there on July the 14th. Uh, Today, I'm speaking with another practicing neo-pagan, a druid, in fact. He spoke at last year's Occulticon. Won't be there this year. He has another occult festival of his own in Ohio happening at the same time, and uh, he'll tell us about that as well. Ian Corrigan has been teaching, learning, singing, and playing in the American neo-pagan movement since 1976. He has 
decades of experience in a variety of occult, pagan, and magical topics, having received his third-degree initiation in Celtic traditional Wicca in the early 80s. Ian has led eclectic study groups, a traditional Wiccan coven, and a Druid grove. He's a well-known. He's been well known for decades at pagan festivals as a bard, ritualist, and teacher. And for the past 30 years, Ian's primary path has been Celtic polytheism and especially neo-pagan druidism. Ian is the author of A Guide to Pagan Worship, Pagan Spells, Rites for Conjuring Spirits, The Book of Summoning, and Beginning Practical Magic. Ian Corrigan, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Hello, Richard. I am just fine this evening. So I wanted to mention Occulticon because uh, you you spoke there last year. You were a presenter last year. This year, of course, is uh, it's taking place July thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth. And I'll be speaking mm-hmm. under the lecture tent on Saturday, July fourteenth, at one p.m. And then taking part in a panel under the same tent at three. You're not able to attend this year. You have a similar event in Ohio called Starwood. Tell me about that. Yes. Um, uh, I'm uh, yeah, unable, as you say, to attend uh, Occulticon this year because it uh, coincidentally ended up cross-scheduled with the Starwood Festival in uh, southeastern Ohio at the Wisteria Campground. Um, that same week of the, actually, 10th all the way through the 16th, your ticket buys you a Sunday overnight if you care to camp and take a leisurely leave on Monday morning the 16th. Um, Starwood is one of kind of the original siblings of the festival movement founded in uh, 1981. This will be our 38th year, uh, 38th Starwood Festival. And uh, I was at the first event. I am a committed lifetime organizer when it comes to Starwood, so that's where I'll be and not um, at beautiful Mythwood Campground. Uh, for Occulticon. We should also mention Occulticon taking place at the Mythwood event grounds up in Holstein, Ontario. I'm told, I've never been up there, uh, but I'm told that it is one of the the highest, in terms of altitude, highest campsites in maybe Ontario, because it's up there on the escarpment. So looking forward to getting up there and and checking out the the stone circle up there. What do you make of the Uh, the stone circle? And and many other lovely new ancient art artifacts uh, <laughs> there at uh, at Mythwood. I, I really enjoyed my stay uh, at the site. Uh, not only have they gone out of their way to build shrines, temples, and mythic intersection points, but the campground is very well appointed with electricity and running water throughout, and uh, we were comfortable and... and uh, happy in October in Ontario. So uh, it should be a great time in July. Excellent. Now, I uh, I spoke to Frater Arceus uh, recently and, of course, came in Mythwood. So mm-hmm. I guess you could say that what I know about the the uh, about paganism and, and druids, I guess I learned from them, which, you know, I, I don't know a lot. So how would you explain the druid tradition? My paganism is currently expressed through... Um, the druidry of an organization called Arnriacht Fan, ADF. Uh, I can explain to you why the Irish phrase Arnriacht Fan generates the initials ADF, but it's a long time, and we're we're on the on the podcast. But how how would you explain <laughs> the Irish? 
Sure. Well, they can come to Starwood and hear the the full explanation. Absolutely uh, right. Um, and uh, you know, paganism by uh, which is a, a shorthand for the for neo paganism or, or the new religious movement family of new religious movements called neo paganism is an attempt to build a family of modern spiritual practices based uh, on what we can recover of ancient, uh, that is, uh, pre-Christian spiritual practice and religious practice, especially as practiced in Europe and maybe the, you know, Roman uh, Middle East. Um, uh, It's all a, a round of reinvention and scholastic reconstruction that now has had, well, waving at 100 years, of uh, 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 fueling by artists and creative uh, people and uh, has produced a variety of active religious expressions that are in business around, uh, around certainly around the North American continent and around uh, the world. Are there parallels between neo-paganism and the, the, the religions practiced by the indigenous peoples of North America, for example? Well, um, not uh, very direct ones. The native peoples of North America became an object of fascination for the newly born science of anthropology at the begin at the, in the in the beginning of the twentieth century, um, and many even British forefathers and first mothers of uh, of neo-paganism were, I think, somewhat fascinated by Native American ways. Um, modern people influenced by New Age and uh, who knows what else uh, inclinations sometimes read some books and attempt to mix uh, forms and ideas from Native American practice with the traditions of neo-paganism to with with some success and sometimes with some degree of clumsiness but the worst end of that and where people begin to complain is when people present themselves as teachers of Native American spirituality when they are in fact expressing one of these living room constructions (laughs) uh, based on books so you have to be a little careful about that. Those of us, well, those many neo-pagans attempt to stay fairly scholastically close to the ideas and forms we can see from pre-Christian Europe and the Mediterranean. Um, that keeps us out of the hair of traditional peoples who are busy with their own effort to preserve and restore their often very damaged traditions here in North America. How would you describe the, the major tenets of, the, of pagan worship? Pagan worship generally consists of uh, uh, the establishment of a ritually defined space or area or the as it were, lighting up of a of a shrine, um, invocations to a variety 
of beings, most pagans are overtly polytheist and animist, or at least functionally polytheist and animist. Um, and the request for some sort of blessing or aid in return for our worship. You know, that's kind of the simplest outline. If you were to ask what the tenets of paganism are, I, I would start by saying that most pagan religions don't have what you'd call a credo. Do you know what I mean? Yes, right. Um, a, a, a recitation of mandatory opinions. Right, like the Nicene um, Creed. Like, uh, the Nicene, like the Nicene Creed still were recited in Christian churches. I believe in the this and the that and the other thing. Right. Um, we don't, uh, in fact, no one's ever written one that has gotten any traction in neo-paganism. And neo-paganism, bits of liturgy transmit through books and at festivals, and people teach them to each other. And if they have legs, they catch on. But uh, nobody has ever written a pagan credo that has had any legs at all. Um, rather, we have a collection of ideas that float uh, in our discourse, and uh, a few of us make an effort to actually uh, um, do some theology around them. It's not theology is nowhere near as popular a pastime in paganism as, say, tarot reading right, <laughs> or, right. uh, uh, or seasonal ritual. But some of us do indulge in theology. So I, I, I put polytheism top of the list, that the divine manifests as um, numerous persons um, and not as one person. Uh, and, that, and secondarily, most pagans are animist to one degree or another. That is, they think that, and you can say this several different ways, they think that Spirit dwells in all things, but you can also say, for some traditional peoples, they think that a spirit dwells in things, that things have a spirit in them. That's a little different from the philosophical idea of spirit dwelleth in all things, if you see what I'm saying. Right, right. Um, paganism is usually human positive. Um, well, let, let me back up from that. We're nature, we're nature centered. Uh, paganism is usually expressed through the images and forms and metaphors of nature. Um, you can say, you know, pagans argue whether that amounts to nature worship or not, but often enough you find yourself making offerings in front of trees and stones, just like they told you not to do in the 10th century church laws. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, um, there's an element of straight-up worship of natural things that goes on. Uh, but, you know, when I say this to, in a theological sense, I say that I view nature as the primary revelation of spirit to the human mind. If you want to know what spirit is like, observe nature. And how, how would... How... I, I will go on, so, so you know, take a breath. And I, and, and I'll... <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> well, we're sort of doing, yeah, we're around the world in 80 days here, but how, and then how would that differentiate itself from Wicca? Well, Wicca is a special sect of neo-paganism. You know, it's a, a denomination, if you will. Um, more It's more accurate to say a tradition. You know, if you look at Hinduism, what what you would call denominations, really, they call uh, lineages, or uh, that is like uh, initiatory uh, pastimes, sampradayas. Um, and paganism is, is rather, 
more in that mode than we are in the Protestant um, joy of sect kind of kind of mode. Um, Wicca is a specific was an effort to reconstruct the idea of a medieval remnant pagan witchcraft that might have been noticed by the church in the Middle Ages and mistaken for the satanic diabolism, you know, that that's redundant for the for the diabolism that they called witchcraft in their in their church mythology. Uh Gardner was looking right there at the medieval English woods and what it would have taken to maintain a cult of Pan and Diana in the in the forest and uh, and have the church watch. So uh, uh Wicker grew from those kinds of aesthetic and uh, inspirational roots and drew a lot from masonry. Wicca is initiate the original Wicca is initiatory. Now Wicca got turned loose and now there's a there's an infinite variety of open source Wicca forms. Um, uh, once it got jailbroke <laughs> from its uh, initiatory origins, um, but most pagans on average. Most pagans are not Wiccan in, in any formal sense, but it may also be true to say that most pagans use ritual forms and ideas that originated in Wicca. When we talk about magic, ritual magic, practical magic, is it used metaphorically, or do you believe, for example, with practical magic that you can... I suppose, what, what would the term be? Affect reality, manipulate reality through spells well, spells, and yeah, so forth? Well, what is this, Tuesday? I guess I believe <laughs> <laughs> that uh, <laughs> um, magic is, uh, is the use of spiritual arts to attempt to accomplish personally willed goals, if I were to give you the one-sentence definition. Um, so all the same arts that are used in religion, um, uh, ritual, meditation, uh, mental skills, um, knowledge of plants and stones and herbs, and all you know, all that sort of thing, is employed not to bring a general blessing to the tribe like you might do at a religious rite, but to get a result for the individual. I tell you that I believe in the ability to influence probability and outcomes to the degree that I do go to magic for my personal need. Could you give me an um, example? And, Could you give me an example of... of it's, oh, uh, you know, how many times over the years have I done a little working to aid my job search? Uh, plenty of times. Um, you know, magic works good on... Um, uh, situations where the dice are in the air. Um, you know, if you want to break a dam with magic, that could take a lot of drilling. <laughs> uh, but but if I, you know, we're gonna I'm gonna go straight to the metaphors here. If I, um, but if the if the dice are in the air and all you need to do is affect the breeze, uh, then that you know that's a good time to apply magic. So you know you. You put out your 30 resumes, and you ask for the aid you need to have the job offer that you're going to get be the right one in the right time, uh, etc. Well, is, um, is it as simple as med- meditate, meditating on that, or is there are there spells? Uh, what, what's involved? Well, what's involved? 
let's let's go to the traditional end, shall we? Instead, of, if I if I started at the new age end, we could start at creative visualization, and there are folks probably who do effective magic simply by visualizing their goal and juicing it up with whatever personal psychic energy, whatever that may mean, they can they can produce. But the traditional forms of magic, well, the traditional forms of magic involve spirits. Let's just go let's let's go straight to the mythic end of this uh, I might have uh, gone a longer way around but the, the just like the basic form of relig- the basic goal of religion is to bring individuals into contact with the divine spirits or their local equivalents <laughs> and representatives um, magic intends to bring spirits to the aid of the individual practitioner. Um, there's a lot of modern practitioners, if there are any listening now, who are saying, no, magic's all about energies and the energies of things, and the, et cetera, et cetera, and that is the modern metaphor. Uh, but the traditional metaphor is you conjure the right kind of spirits, you interest the right kind of spirits in what it is you want, and you make a deal with them, and they help you get it. Um, there are all kinds of modern mechanistic, more mechanistic uh, metaphors for how magic works, all the way down to psychic laser beams <laughs> that uh, <laughs> burn through the urban environment and straight into the office of the guy who has to make the hiring decision. Um and lots of computer models. Magic tends to imitate uh, technology all the way back to the guy that invented fire. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the writing. Once writing was invented, it, it became uh, indistinguishable from magic. There's whole periods when, if you could write, you were probably a. Everybody thought you were a magician anyway. You know, I don't make big claims at all about practical magic. I think remarkable things happen in an unduplicatable way that will make them unavailable to laboratory conditions in the same way that you can't, well, in the same way that you can't guarantee a master performance from a musician in laboratory conditions every time. Uh, there's a lot of variables. Magic in practice is an art, not a science. And uh, there's a lot of variables in the performance of any given magical um, action. Uh, so, you know, so for individuals, just like art, art is the art, art, performance art, music, that kind of thing is my favorite metaphor for how magic works. Most people get by with a knack. They they learn a couple of tricks, they get good at this and that, and they can put that together with their general knowledge and, you know, perform as a musician or a magician. Um, occasionally you run into those real experts who play everything and <laughs> can, uh, can write it all down for you. But uh, I probably crank that metaphor enough.
If only there was some simple spell available to make dogs behave. Who knows? Maybe there is. But seriously, if you own a dog, how would you like to develop your dog's hidden intelligence to eliminate bad behavior and create the obedient, well-behaved pet of your dreams? A woman named Adrian Ferricelli, a professional certified dog trainer, has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out the hidden intelligence inside the dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how bad you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. This is what allows our brains to learn new behaviors. Well, your dog's brain has the same plasticity. And with the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. When this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So, if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com. realbusinessbargains.com. In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was, good, good, a handsome man, Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Ian Corrigan is here, the author of The Book of Summoning and Beginning Practical Magic. I'm not intending to be flippant here, but I mean, are these, would, would no, you, go ahead. would you <laughs> be flippant? Okay. No, no but I, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, no, you know, throw fine, around a bunch of cliches, but I'm wondering, like, would, would there be, for example, a grimoire that you would go to? The, you know, a dusty copy of a, a, a grimoire that you would pull off the we shelf. We love that cliche. Everybody in the occult loves that cliche. So let's go right. Forward. All right, and and you know, because you, let's say you have something that you want to achieve. Let's say it's getting a, a leg up on a on a for a job application. Uh, right. do, do you reference a, a grimoire? Well, uh, I don't. Uh, I'm a I'm a decadal multi decadal practitioner. You know. I can improvise, and I have a, and I have a vocabulary of ritual bits and spirit allies that I can uh, compose with at need. Uh, that said, I have also written a bunch of my own rites, including you know, in grimoires and that kind of stuff. But there are books like that. And uh, you do learn magic from them when you start. Grimoire, you know, is French. Uh, and it means um, a, a grammar. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that I'm makes saying? sense. Absolutely, that makes in the sense. sense of, in the sense of a schoolboy text. Right. Um, the, the grimoires especially, and it was kind of a fad in the... 18th through uh, 17th through 19th century, maybe before that somewhat. It was kind of a fad for magicians to generate these how to do magic in 70 pages um, books. And there's, there's, a, there's a cluster of them in the mid-18th uh, century. Um, the chair, the, probably from maybe people who were sharing techniques, hard to tell. It looks like it. Um, 
and there's older books than that. There's the famous Keys of Solomon, which are almost as cool as their legend. There's, uh, uh, you know, the work of Dr. D, if you're ready to approach a magic that's on the level of calculus. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Uh, well, Dr. D, well, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I may be exact, not being acquainted with calculus myself i may be exaggerating uh but he you know uh dr d received an entire construct language from the angels through his scrying glass and uh, uh wrote a bunch of stuff about it and magicians are still trying to figure out what the hell he was saying some hundred years hundreds hundreds of years later he was elizabeth's time was it power was it was it complicated uh, because it was powerful I people think it's powerful because it's complicated. Right. <laughs> that is not the question you asked. No, true. Um, uh, you know, people mistake the Enochian system, and I, uh, you know, the, here here I could digress uh, for specialists, but uh, it's fairly famous the so-called Enochian magic system of Doctor John D, the uh, astrologer to Queen Elizabeth the first. Um, uh, 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 Enochian as in the Book of Enoch? Just as. Okay. Um, uh, uh, people of that period hoped to discover the original language behind languages. And they thought it would be the language of the angels. And the name of Enoch, who did not die but ascended to heaven and walked with God, uh, became associated with the search for the angelical language. And so it became associated, and, and Dr. D claimed to have received the angelical language through his scrying, etc. And that's the long walk around to, to Enochian. Um, but it's, the truth is, it's more of a visionary technique than it is a practical magic technique. It's the, not the kind of magic you would call on to uh, uh, curse your enemies or bless your fields. Uh, really, it's... More, you know, Dr. D wanted England to conquer the world. He was looking for angels that would help Queen Elizabeth conquer the world and uh, show him the glories of heaven. Uh, it's much more about that sort of stuff than it is about practical magic. A, a, a huge percentage of even what you would call occult magic, all issues of paganism aside, the stuff, the, the secret tradition of esoteric spirituality in Europe that that makes its way from... Uh, the end of the pagan era through uh, Byzantium and uh, on into eventually into the Rosicrucians and and the Masonic impulse. Mm -hmm. um, all of that has as much to do with personal spiritual revelation and illumination uh, and 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 initiation in the in the mystical sense as it does with spellcraft or uh you know any of that down home uh toad bone sort of activity what are your thoughts on 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 alistair crowley as a as a, a <laughs> as a magician i mean was he i'm a fan <laughs> <laughs> that divides pretty quickly i'm a fan of alistair crowley as a magician uh he was pretty much what he said he was uh uh, 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 he said various things about himself. I don't think I don't think he was the Messiah of a New Age necessarily. Uh, uh, though 
I find the mystical poetry of the Book of the Law inspiring when it's not terrifying. Um, he was one of the most interesting men of the 20th century, I would just have to say. Um, you know, a master chess player, mountain climber, mm -hmm. uh, Indiana Jones class adventurer, um, uh, poet, real mystic and ceremonial magician. You know, it's a long resume for if you know if you want to be a top weirdo. He's uh, <laughs> a top weirdo. Yes. <laughs> now he's right up there. <laughs> what was what was he attempting to do uh, at Boleskin House? Uh, what was he trying to summon? Oh, a better biographer than me might be less likely to make a mistake, but if I'm not mistaken, he was attempting... The legend is that he attempted to summon a devil or demon or... Uh, let's just use those words for a minute. Um, out of Dr. D's Enochian magic system. Uh, with the intention of accomplishing a specific mystical work. And that may sound funny, but it's not uncommon in various mystical practices to have to confront opponents in order to pass uh, uh, thresholds. So in other words, you summon the demons, you bind them, you overcome you overcome the demon as an obstacle. Right. That's straight up stuff still in like Tibetan Buddhism. That's uh Chaudrite straight up stuff in Tibetan Buddhism. Um it's more hidden in Western esotericism as in not plainly expressed. Uh but uh there it is. And he seems to have been attempting to summon that mighty demon uh but legend has it, and I don't even know, like I say, a better biographer might actually have the notes around this, but uh, legend has it that he used himself as a medium for that spirit. And some say that was a big error. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something but, about being called away and not, and maybe skipping a few steps. Or I mean, he was he was young, right? He was like twenty five. He wasn't very old by that time. Um, he bought Belaskin House with uh, the end of his inheritance, <laughs> or a lot of the end of his inheritance, and attempted to settle down to do magic. Um, and he was interested in in demon summoning arts at that at that stage. Um, so really you sound like you've read the same accounts I have um, that particular account is not uh, something that I can comment on with any authority I'm just attempting to recover the cloudy notes I have from from reading biographies and articles about, right, about right. Crowley, so I shouldn't. Uh, but the idea that to know the real answer. The, but the idea that if you 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 go through this operation, you summon these demons, and if you if you miss a step, or you, I guess the legend is he was called away to Paris and and didn't finish the ritual, and so these spirits, these demons, weren't properly bound. Uh, I mean, do you do you subscribe to that notion that that that's possible? Well. Yeah, possible is a big word. I'll go for possible. Um, um, a serious magical operation 
is not as dangerous as leaving your meth lab untended. (laughs) 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 But I, but, uh, but leaving, leaving a serious magical operation where you're dealing with powerful intelligences or forces to pick your metaphor and, um, not coming back and getting out your psychic screwdriver and uh, and and fixing whatever's gotten uh, uh, rattly while you were gone is not good practice. It's just you know, as they would say nowadays, that's not what you'd call best practice. Mm. You know, um, and you know, Crowley was a young man, uh, casual in his heart about the. His life in general, I think, you know, he was raised in an atmosphere of money and privilege and uh, generally didn't give up even about the things he really cared about. Pardon me if I can't say that. Shall I say that in a way that you don't have to edit? <laughs> I generally didn't give a damn. <laughs> um, By all accounts, very hedonistic, uh, to say the least. Uh, very hedonistic. Was, uh, you know, he was raised He was raised by a very in a very puritanical Christian sect, the Plymouth Brethren. Right. Um and uh, his mother bestowed the name uh, the Great Beast. Uh, she caught him fornicating uh, with the, the serving girls and called him the Antichrist, and he liked that so well that it stuck with him throughout his mystical life. <laughs> <laughs> but was was that something that he uh, incorporated into his practical magic, or was that just something that he brought to the dance because that's who he was? That's who he was. Who he was led him to start to think about how to incorporate magic and sexuality. Um, you know, let's say we're talking 1907 or 1910, and the Theosophical Society is busy importing yoga to England mm-hmm. and Europe. And along with yoga, uh, in the in, in the pockets of suitcases came Tantra. And Crowley discovered Tantra. He also was a traveler in the East, of course. He probably, there's no direct account of him discovering Tantra in the East, but he did travel widely in India and Nepal. Um, and, you know, there, there's a story I can tell about Crowley, I think, fairly accurately. He published one of my favorite Crowley publications is called The Book of Lies, Falsely So Called. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, it's a uh, series of one page chapters of Zen Kabbalistical uh, puzzles and poems and bits of ritual, that each accompanied with a, a page of more rational comment. And in it, he gives a bit of ritual, and uh, the, and it was something he composed entirely from his own uh, speculations and, and ideas. But it led to a knock on the door at one point and a visit from some German magicians who accused him of revealing their initiatory sex magic secrets in his, uh, in his book of lies. And that led to a long conversation, <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. And... Uh, led to Aleister Crowley's involvement with the uh, order called the OTO, 
Ordo Templi Orientis, right, right. Uh, which he did not found, which he had given to him because he was so cool um, by these German magicians who took him for uh, the real thing. And he went on to teach a system that attempted to replace the traditional animal sacrifice of pagan religion and magic with sexual activity, to be, to be plain, uh, with the, I don't know what I can say on your radio show, with the mingled fluid results of the, uh, of the sexual ritual offered in the place of the sacrificial uh, animal. Nicely played, um, nicely played. <laughs> that n- <laughs> that never caught on as well as he might have liked. It's still practiced, but it never caught on as well as he might have liked. Uh, but he did craft an entire system of sex magic, as you might say, um, and taught it, and many people still practice it. Uh, it uh, uh, you know, it's not as easy as you'd hope. Maybe It may be as much fun as you'd hope, but it's not as easy as you'd hope, because... <laughs> It involves both concentration and not concentrating, usually, uh, kind of at the same time. <laughs> the trick to it. Fascinating. <laughs> what are you going to talk about at uh, Starwood? Uh, at Starwood, I'm going to do uh, a workshop on. Um, I, I don't have a I don't have a catchy name for this yet. I'm this week. I have to compose a catchy name and get it to my committee, but. Uh, it's it's going to be my effort to boil down a spirit-based practical magic approach and home practice for modern neo-pagans. You know, there's a there is, in my opinion, a a trend in uh, modern magic away from viewing magic as. Um, the mental manipulation of impersonal psychic forces and back towards a more traditional view of magic as, um, well, I'll use the old-fashioned word, pacts, <laughs> and relationships with, uh, with spirits. Um, this used to be like ABC in witchcraft, and it's become so buried in the New Age um, you know, shine the right colored light on it, and that's going to do the job kind of magic that um, uh, I'm hoping to help revive it and to pass it a little out of the scholarly realms of speculation where it's been originating and out onto people's altars. So we'll see if I can do that. So what are you saying? Give me that old-time religion? <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> We will welcome Aphrodite. She'll be waiting in her nighty. Well, she's kind of wild and flighty, but she's good enough for me. You can construct a chorus from there. Give me that. <laughs> very enlightening. Thank you for this, Ian. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, glad to be able to speak with you. Give us the, the particulars again about uh, the Starwood uh, Festival. The Starwood Festival, um, July uh, 10th. Through sixteenth, uh, the, the the Monday, the sixteenth of Monday is an extra day. Uh, so the the program is the uh, Tuesday through Sunday uh, at the Wisteria Pagan 
friendly campground uh, in uh, southeastern Ohio, closest to Athens, Ohio, where Ohio University is. But if you Google Wisteria Campground, you'll find them. Or if you Google starwoodfestival.org. We've been called Starwood since long before the Starwood Resorts were in business. <laughs> but we can't use starwood.org anymore, apparently. Starwoodfestival.org will get you to this year's site uh, with plenty of information. Uh, it's, it's five days of uh, workshops and uh, instruction all day and concerts every evening, uh, midnight rituals, um, hottest drum fires anywhere. I kid you not. Um, if what you'd like to do is drum and dance, you've probably either been to Starwood or you want to come to Starwood anyway. So uh, this should be the year for you out there in Internet Radio Land. <laughs> Starwoodfestival.org. Thanks again, Ian. Hey, thank you very much. You have a great day. Bye-bye. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to fill you in on what's happening on episode 62 of Conspiracy Unlimited. We'll also do the weekly draw. But first, let me tell you once again about my good friends at Life Extension and their fabulous product, Mega Green Tea Extract, which provides powerful antioxidant effects throughout the body. Green tea contains health-promoting polyphenols, including a powerful antioxidant, which has been the subject of extensive scientific research. Why don't you pour on these multiple health benefits for yourself? Green tea supports cell membrane integrity, boosts liver detoxification, enhances immune function, and helps maintain healthy blood cholesterol, LDL and triglyceride levels, and much, much more. Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract is decaffeinated, yet it contains more polyphenols in one capsule than seven cups of green tea. The Chinese have used green tea for therapeutic purposes since 2000 BC. More recently, volumes of published scientific findings attest to its multiple health benefits. One capsule a day of Mega Green Tea Extract is all you need. Why don't you give your body what it needs? Order right now from Life Extension and save 25%. Just go to SmartClickIdea.com. That's SmartClickIdea.com. SmartClickIdea.com. All right, let's do our draw, shall we? This week's winner of Volume 1. Oh, what the heck? Let's throw in Volume 2 as well. Ha <laughs> ha. Heather Wilson of Montreal. Congratulations, Heather. We'll drop that in the post for you as soon as we can. And again, if you want to get on the weekly draw, make sure you rate and review this podcast. Grab a screenshot of that and then email it to me at richardserrett one at gmail.com. Don't forget to include your full name and your mailing address and then be listening every Friday for the draw. Coming up on episode 62 of Conspiracy Unlimited, cryptocurrency with the creator of CloudCoin the world's first cloud-based digital currency. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>